Well, morning, everybody. We've had a great prayer week, our 18th consecutive year where we've set aside the whole week in January to focus on prayer, and thanks for everyone who's come out. We had some really meaningful evening prayer gatherings on Sunday, Tuesday, and Friday where we were praying over uh, some of our missions partners, and we were praying for the next generation, children and students, and and then several of you have been uh, making a trek up to the prayer room up in this area up there, and I think we had 100 plus hours of prayer in the prayer room this week. And uh, so when you think about, well, what, what's prayer week all about? And, you know, why do we have a prayer room? Why do we have prayer gatherings? Why do we have prayer area and prayer space up here? At the core of it is it represents a deeply held value we have here at Eagle, that our community at its heart is about seeking God. I know in my own life, prayerlessness is an indicator of self-reliance. So like a little dashboard light for me is when I'm not in a pattern of prayer, I'm usually relying on my own wisdom and strength far too much. So equally so, though, a prayerfulness tends to draw attention to the places where I'm depending on God, trusting in God, relying on him, because at the heart of our community, to play pastor obvious for a minute, the church at its center is a community of people who have come together to seek God. What those songs were just communicating, Christ is the center of who we are and all that we're doing. And Christ is our life. And do you know what the posture of a group of people who really believes that is? Prayer. Like prayer week and the prayer room and prayer gatherings and prayer area. It's about God. And so as a body, what brings us connected to one another, it's Christ that draws our interconnectedness together. It's not a bad thing to come to a church family to meet some friends and, to, and develop relationships. I just want to push us one step beyond that and to say really the centering piece of what draws this diverse group of people together is Christ. It's to seek God together. And the essence of true community is to have the kind of relationships in our life that help us seek God. That's what we're about. If you want to know what Eagle's about, that's what we're doing here. This is about Christ. And it's about being a group of people who are passionate and pursuing him with all we've got. And it's enhanced when we link up together. So our relational worlds are important, but it's a means to a bigger end. Are you with me? And so that's what this is centering and all about. And when you get centered on God, here's a good indicator of maturity in the spiritual life. When the things that are on God's heart are increasingly on our heart. And sometimes when I'm, when I'm praying, when I ask the Lord, say, Lord, what's on your heart today? I got a bunch of things on my heart every day. But Lord, what's on your heart today? And I want the things that are on God's heart to be increasingly on my heart. I think that's some of what Jesus was praying in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Hey, make stuff up there run better, you know, down here, up there. So like that process of God, what's on your heart and becoming more what's on my heart? And you know, when you seek God and when you get centered in him and you have a week like this, some of you have had a week you might put in the category of a really spiritually renewing week in your life. You know what the outflow of that is? It's engagement in our lost and broken world. Do you know what's on God's heart? God's concerned about a whole lot of things going on in our world that are unraveling at a very rapid pace. Do you know that's a big deal for God? And do you know when you draw near to him, you spend time in the prayer room, you get in a prayer gathering, and you then you get kind of propelled out, 
missionally engaged in the world around us. Do you see how those two things go together? As you draw near and seek God, as we as a community seek God, we're going to be then moving out and joining him in what he's doing all around the world. So we had like 10 of our folks. I think some of them are here. They're back from Kenya. Hey, Kenya team, are you here? Where are you? There's some over here. Anybody else in Kenya from Kenya team? Look at you guys. Let's welcome them all back. They got back. 530. 5.30 last night, so your time zone somewhere over the Atlantic. Kudos to you guys being here, right? Pastor really better be on it today or you're going to be way off into the distant land. But we heard great things about the trip. If you didn't follow along with it, go on the Eagle Church Facebook page. You can see all kinds of photos there, and I'm sure you'll be hearing more and more about it. I encourage you to reach out to some of those on the Kenya team and ask them about their experience they've had over the last 10 days. They were joined with one of our mission partners dealing with child trafficking in the world, and it was a pretty phenomenal trip on a lot of levels. And this is what it means to be a disciple. This is what the series we've been in since the first of the year. We've been talking about what it means to learn life the way Jesus would teach us how to live, to be, have the posture of a student in his school of living, to come to him and say, everybody's gotta learn how to live from somebody. I choose Jesus. I think he's the best at everything. And so we've been coming with a posture of open hands and open hearts and saying, hey, teach me how to live. And one of the things the Kenya team learned this past 10 days is just how burdened Jesus is for the least of these in our world, the people on the margins, the people that are overlooked and forgotten, and our role as the body of Christ on earth to impact and be a light in those settings. That's what it means to be a disciple, to seek God and have the things that are on his heart become increasingly on our heart. And that brings us to a subject today. As I prayed through this series, I was asking the Lord, I said, Lord, what are the kinds of topics that you would address in kind of an entry-level class on a school of living? So let's say Whitestown Municipal Complex offered a class for the Whitestown Zionsville community. You can come, and you, Jesus is the master teacher. He's going to teach you about life and about living. I think one of the first topics he would hit in this area of the world is wealth and money and possessions. Now, if you're really super excited, pastor's talking about this today. You're like, oh, really? But I think about the role and why Jesus, now he might not select that in the outskirts of Kenya where our team was just at. There's probably some other topics that would be earlier in the queue. But I suspect if he was leading a class in this area of the world and he took a drive around our communities, I think he would begin to say, hey, you know what? We're gonna have a conversation about money and about wealth, and about possessions, and about the importance of how that affects what it means to be a disciple. So that's what we're talking about this morning. And I wanna get into this subject by just addressing kind of three larger questions at the front end, and then we're gonna have a personal conversation with a family from the body who's had a, an experience this past year that I wanted you to hear about. And then we're gonna finish the message by looking at kind of a way that Jesus presses this tension upon us, that there's a wrestling match that happens around this issue, and he brings it up in Matthew chapter 6. So we'll be anchored in Matthew chapter 6 for the second part, but let me just start by addressing some of the big white elephants around this topic. The first one is, why is this such a big deal with God? I put these in your notes. If you haven't pulled out your notes or fire up your app, you can follow along that way as well. So the first question is, why is money and possessions and wealth such a big deal with God? 
Does he need us to give? Is he wringing his hands upon the throne wondering, oh, I'm going to run out of resources if my people don't give? That is, no. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And so there's nothing to do with his need of us to give. It has everything to do with who we're becoming as we give. The, how we handle money and possessions affects greatly the kind of person we become. So God is always dealing with this subject, not because of what he benefits from it, because he knows what happens in us when we get into this topic together. And so this is where Hebrews 13.5 is so important, where Hebrews 13.5 has that straightforward command, says, keep your lives free from the love of money. And that word lives there, the Greek word is tropos. It means environment. It's kind of like, I want you to think of it this way. There is a There is a way to maintain the environment or the temperature of your interior world that causes certain things to grow and it chokes out other things. There's a, there's a, I want you to think of giving and handling your finances Jesus' way as a thermostat to maintain the tropos of your interior world. Because if you go about it Jesus' way, here's what you're gonna find. You're gonna handle your money and your finances in a way that sets the interior world to cause things like generosity and freedom to flourish. And then it simultaneously chokes out this inherent pull in all of our condition, which is to covet, to grasp, to control, to be anxious about running out, to be greedy or stingy. All of that stuff gets choked out, a tropos. So it all has to do with how we're gonna handle this. This is why this is such a big deal with God. Because when we get to the end of our one and only life, what are we gonna present to him? You're not gonna present to him your 401k. You're gonna present to him the kind of person you've become. That's what you're gonna present. That's what you're gonna offer him at the end of the run. So a big deal in affecting the kind of person you become is how you handle finances and wealth and possessions. And then what does he say for the starting point? Well, how do you step into this? And we've talked about this many times. Just to reset the scriptural starting point for giving is called a tithe. Tithe means 10%. And it has to do with you take the first, it's a first fruit. So all through the Old Testament, God was preoccupied with his people, training them to live in first fruits offering. So whatever God gives you, you take the first fruits, the first 10%, and you bring it back to him as an offering. That's your starting point. Before taxes, yes, before taxes. That's the definition of first fruits. So before the government gets their share, before anyone else, before whatever the top of the stack on the budget is, your very top line in all of our family budgets in God's eyes is a first fruits offering called a tithe, That's the 10%. And Malachi 3 is the most straightforward challenge to us as a people. It's one of the the very few times in Scripture where God says to test him. It's an ironic statement, isn't it? He says, hey, test me in this. Bring your first 10% as an offering and put me to the test and see what I do. We called it the Malachi 3 challenge. If you remember about a year ago, we were talking about this, and several of you took us up on the Malachi 3 challenge. And you've seen God do some things in that. So this is your starting point. And then where do you give that 10%? So why is this such a big deal with God? Because it affects the kind of person we become. Hebrews 13, 5. How much do you start with? You start with a tithe, 10%. Malachi 3, the tithe challenge. Test him in this. 
And then where do you give that 10%? You give it to the local priesthood, translated today would be your local church, where you find your spiritual care and nourishment taking place. So where your family is being spiritually cared for and nourished, that's where you bring your tithe, and then you give above and beyond your tithe, this is what the Bible calls free will offerings and gifts, to things like caring for orphans and widows, and the missionary mandate to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. All those things are important, which by the way, as you bring your tithe into the storehouse, you know, one of the things we do as a body is this coming year, we're gonna be giving 11% of everything given here, given back out to do what? To take care of widows and orphans and the least of these in the missionary mandate. Do you see how it all is built up together and how we do this? And so that's kind of the why and the how you get started and the where you give it to. And it was three weeks ago that a family came up to me at the end of a service. Chris and Julie Callahan, they came up to me and said, hey, do you remember what you were talking about a year ago? And I was so thankful that someone did remember what we were talking about a year ago. That is super encouraging to a pastor. Most of the time when people are talking about it, they can't remember what we did last Sunday, let alone a year ago, and they began to share some of their personal journey on this topic, and so I wanted to invite Chris and Julie to come and share a little bit of their story with us. So let's welcome Chris and Julie Callahan to the stage. You wanna grab both of those? Yeah, you wanna grab it? Which one's that? One? Kyle, we got one. One and five. Thanks. Hey, what do you guys think of this front row thing over here, by the way? You're like, aren't you regulars in the, you're, so Chris and Julie are season ticket holders right back there on the right aisle, back. right? Back row Baptist? Right back over there usually. You will never see us in the front Again. after today. <laughs> <laughs> That's Definitely good. out of our element. Yes. <laughs> well, Chris and Julie have been coming to Eagle for a couple of years, and some of our newest members, about 20 or so folks last Sunday, joined the church as new members, so Chris and Julie were a part of that. Thanks for being a part of that. And tell us about what you do for a living. I um, am a business developer for a, which is glorified salesman, for a major uh, underground uh, contractor in Indiana. Okay. And I sell, I'm a sales rep too, I sell wholesale apparel before you would put like a company logo on it. All right. In the promotional products space. Okay. Travel a fair amount, both of you, on yes. the road quite yes. a bit. all the time. All the time. So last year at this time, we were talking about some of those topics I was just referring to about why is this such a big deal with God and how much we should give. And we started talking about tithe and tithing challenge in Malachi 3. Yes. And tell me some of the conversations when, we were, when I was first raising the subject of giving your first 10% back. Tell me some of the conversations that were going on in your household. Yes, so to be perfectly blunt, I remember uh, this sermon very well on this day and exactly how things happened. So we were sitting, of course, in the back row, and he, when, when Eric mentioned and not only just to trust the Lord with your finances, but to test him, I literally went like this to Chris and said, I think we should do that. And his response was underwhelming. And it was more like an eye roll and like a grunt in the I never did roll. that. Never did that. <laughs> Chris, I want us to get like, give us your best eye roll, Chris. Give don't us the recall. best eye. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he literally is like, nah, I don't think we should do that. So, uh, so I, um, I'm in an industry where it's uh, a little bit sporadic. There's not always a lot of consistency. 
But what I didn't realize until we put some more thought into it and more communication was that maybe the pattern of my success was directly related to the amount of trust I had with our finances. Mm. And so I said to Chris, I said, you know, this is like a gym membership. Let's just try it and see if we go and see if we get results. And if it doesn't <laughs> work, then we'll just stop. And um, so we started, I know that sounds ridiculous, but no, so, sounds great. yeah, so uh, we uh, started praying um, about our finances sp specifically. Okay. And do you have anything to add to that? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Chris, why don't you talk about, there was a transition point where you decided, you know what, we're going to step in and we're going to give the first 10%. That was a big step. You guys had never done that before? Not that consistently. Not consistently. Correct. Yeah, not consistently. And I, as she's, I might have rolled my eyes, which I don't think I did, but um, <laughs> we did kind of start the process. And um, it seemed like every week, it would, when times were tough, we, we always made, everything was taken care of. And it was like, hey, I think we can do this. And it just, everything kept snowballing. And she was having good weeks. I was having good weeks. And somebody's doing something. It, somebody's doing something right. And so it just, we continued on and it just worked. So tell us a little bit more about just the year-long journey, right, in the tithing stream, both the things that went well and maybe yeah. some of the challenging points of it. Sure. So we started tithing um, right after that sermon. So started giving 10%. And... I cannot stress this enough. It was immediate. So um, I normally February is a really challenging month. I like blew it out of the water from a sales perspective. Mm. And that kind of kept continuing on. And um, I remember Eric, I don't know if you guys remember this sermon, but he said, you know, when you're a kid and you get $10 for allowance and have to give a dollar, it doesn't feel that painful. But then when it's $100 and you have to give 10, it, you know, it's gets more challenging. Or when it's a thousand, you give a hundred, then it's like, ugh. It gets harder as it gets bigger. And um, I remember thinking at about April, I was like, this success, this, this, these commission checks, this is just because I'm so great at selling T-shirts. Um, <laughs> and then I realized quickly that that was absolutely not the case. And so um, mm. as the commission checks got bigger, it got harder. And I don't want to mislead anybody. Um, did not, we were not financially free by any means. There were definitely months when Chris and I, the, our initial thought was how... And why would we give this 10% to the Lord when there's X, Y, Z that we need to fulfill first? And we just said, we got to keep doing this. And I remember us praying like every night saying, uh, without your blessing and, mm. you know, without us trusting in you, we would never have this. And um, with my job too, I remember saying, I'm never going to hit these numbers, Lord. Like I just, I need help. I'm never going to get there. I'm never going to be a top sales rep. I'm, I'm never, never, never without you, without mm. your intervention. Mm -hmm. I uh, had a great 20, my journey started in 2016. Towards the end, I brought in uh, some major uh, contracts, uh, two of them being the largest in the company, company's 40-year 40 hist 40 history. Hmm. And so 2017 came around, and uh, with a lot of prayer and hope, I put together a package, and I confronted my uh, president, vice president of the company, and uh, sat down with them personally. It was, very, it was a hard thing to do. It was very hard. I've never done it in my life. And I went and talked to him, sat down, and uh, basically said, can we relook re at my compensation package? And then they, uh, they had open ears, and they went, jumped on a plane and went to Ireland for two and a half weeks. <laughs> and uh, I was like, well, when you come back, we'll talk <laughs> again. And they came back, and there was no discussion taking place. They basically pulled me in the office, and two things happened. They completely 
were gracious in what they did financially. But I was in the corporate world prior to this, where I'm at now. And what I really appreciated is that uh, they both appreciated. Just, you know, they, they thanked me. They couldn't thank me enough for everything I've done for them. And it's just, it all just kind of fell into place. And so I was very, 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 I was very, uh, very lucky. And one of the things you said to me was, as you look back on 2017, you'd put it in the category of maybe the best overall financial year of your lives. Is that, I don't want to make an overstatement. Make no. sure I heard you correctly yes, in that. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And well, it reminded me that um, the principle with tithing is God can do more with our 90% than we can do with 100%. Do you remember that discussion? So the essence is, this is an act of faith, right? Because when you add up the math and then you start going, well, what about that 10% I could be using it for? And here's the step of faith and trust, which you're bringing out is saying, hey, we believe God can do more with the 90% as we bring our offering to him than we could do if we kept the 100%. And I think some of what I heard out of your story is some of that reality. I mean, you're a testimony to the Malachi 3. God oh, said, yeah. test me in it. He said he'll show himself faithful. Not that it was easy all the way, right? But, right? right. As the zeros and commas got more, it became more difficult. Definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. Absolutely. But then God showed himself faithful. Maybe we can wrap it up with that. Maybe just make a couple comments about your own walk with God this past year and some of the fruit you've seen in just your kind of personal discipleship with Jesus in the midst of this year financially. I believe the first thing that I've noticed personally is a lot more prayer, a lot more praying um, and uh, getting together and talking and uh, communicating and just being more open with each other i think too when once we realized that we could trust god with our finances there was some sort of like freedom that came over okay if he can manage that effectively way better than we could then what else are we not praying about that he could also manage hmm. and take you know take away from our burden so and it's been it's been an amazing year yeah. it reminds me like the things we've been talking about in this series that in the school of living, like Jesus isn't just right about some things. You know, sometimes we think Jesus, he's just got the biggies, like heaven, hell, sin, salvation. We know he's right about that. But the practical realities, like how do we handle our money? Like I think Jesus is just the best at that. How do we raise our kids? He's just the best at parenting. How do we handle our time and set our boundaries for work and rest rhythms? Like he's the best at all these things. And what I appreciate about the Callahan story is it's just another reminder when it comes to practically living financially before him, he's faithful. And if you will trust him, he will show himself trustworthy. Yes. So as a congregation, we want to say thanks for stepping out in faith and being on this journey with them. Can we say thanks to the Callahan's? Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Of course. You want to take this? Yeah. I'll take that. Thank you. All right, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 if you haven't already done so. Matthew chapter 6. Here's what Jesus says regarding our offering, the time when we say from the stage here, ushers, please come, we're gonna receive our morning offering. Jesus says, so when you give to the needy, notice he says, this is verse two, when you give. This is how Jesus says often, like when you pray and when you fast, notice he says when you give. Do you see in Jesus's mind, there's never a thought of being a disciple and following him that you're not giving and bringing an offering to him. Actually, when you look at this God-breathed book from the very earliest stages, God's people, when your relationship with God, you're bringing an offering to him. It predates the law, by the way. So those of you throwing out this thing under the Old Testament law, the tithing was actually in place before the law was because here's the picture. You just, to be in relationship with God is you're bringing an offering to him because it affects the kind of person you're becoming. So Jesus says, when you give, even if it's a widow's mite and it's 10 cents or a dollar, 
or you make 10,000 a month and you're given 1,000. Like when you give, you see that Jesus? So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Verse three, but when you give, there he says it again, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now I want you to go back to verse two and underline in your Bibles the word hypocrite. Do you see that? Jesus had a lot to say about hypocrisy. That word literally means stage actor. So it's when you think of Jesus using hypocrites, it's what people get nominated for an Oscar for. It's their stage life. It's their, when the lights and the camera are rolling, they're a certain kind of person on stage, but behind scenes or off the stage, they're a different kind of person. In other words, when you're given an Oscar and Academy Award to play a certain role, that's not their real person. They're just playing a certain role. Jesus uses this analogy to say, hey, notice the application is in the church. So we often just think about that. Good thing we're not struggling with this in our world today, right? That there might be a gap between people's maybe public platform, stage light, life, and then private, behind closed doors, different kind of life. Just imagine if we were struggling with that in our world today, but he applies it in the church. He's often applying it in the religious setting. He's saying, hey, in the religious setting, and when does he bring it up? He says, so in the religious setting, here's where it can become. This is where you can be a stage actor. He says, so when you call the church together and you receive an offering, what does he say? He says, so let's just picture, right? It's time for the ushers to come and we're gonna give our tithes and our offerings. So here's what it would be like. I think Jesus is like one of the funniest teachers ever. I think this was a hilarious moment when he's telling this story. He's like, hey, imagine the offering baskets are going around and when the basket comes to your chair, you stop, you stand up. Are you ready? This, this has the potential to go really poorly, I'm just saying. You stand up with your offering and you're holding your envelope and you go. <laughs> Christy, this is Christy Frampton's uh, trumpet, by the way, and it's a really good trumpet. It has nothing to do with the trumpet. It has everything to do with the player. We'll get this together. Well, she gave me a whole five-minute lesson on this and it went just as poorly, by the way, in it. All right, here we go. Ready? You stand up with your offering. The basket comes by. I'm sorry, Christy, I just couldn't do it. That's all I could get out of it. So you blow your trumpet and you set your offering down, and just like you're all chuckling now, that's what Jesus meant. How crazy is that? He said, that's what it means to be a hypocrite. You're just like standing up and you're drawing attention to this. And what does he say about this practice? He says, you'll receive your reward in full. What's up with that? Do you know what reward you get for doing that? You indulge your approval addiction. How addicted are you? Are you as addicted as I am to the approval and affirmation of others? It's so deeply wired in the human condition, Jesus has always addressed it that he wants to melt that away from our hearts. And he says, hey, by the way, if you wanna treat your offering like every time the basket comes by, you wanna stand up and blow your trumpet and play your tune and then slide it in and say, hey, everybody, look at me. 
You know what rewards you're going to get there? You're going to receive your rewards. You're going to indulge your approval addiction. That's it. That's all you're going to get out of it. But now stay with me. Jesus said there's another way to go about this. You can set the trumpet down. Some of you are like, please, Simpson, set that thing down. (laughs) Set the trumpet down, and you can approach giving a different way. Go about it so your right hand doesn't know what your left hand is doing. What's he talking about there? Do you remember when you were a kid and you were learning how to tie your shoes? Do you remember the first time you learned how to tie your shoes? Some of you are teaching your kids this. What was it like the first time you got it? Do you remember? You were like, hey, mom, hey, dad. You picked up your trumpet and you were, whoa, look at me. I tied my shoes. Now, this morning, if you tied your shoes as an adult, Have you thought about how to tie your shoes? Like, when we say something has become so ingrained in us, we say that it becomes second nature, right? Something becomes so habitual that you don't have to think about it anymore, like tying your shoes. When you were younger, you had to give an incredible amount of thought. But when you get a little bit, or you get used to it, it becomes second nature, you just tie your shoes, and if you haven't recently thought about, like I had to give a lot, like how do, how do I actually tie my shoes? So it's like, wait a minute, okay, yeah, I gotta, oh, that's right. So you cross the laces, and then you tighten them down. Oh, then you form a loop, and then you loop it around, and then you pull another loop in, and you pull tight. Oh, that's right, that's how you do this. But so many years has gone by, it's just been second nature. I haven't had to think about it. Dallas Willard said this, here's a good indication of maturity in the spiritual life, the thoughts that no longer occur to you. The things that have become second nature. So I tried something this week. I tried tying my shoes, trying to get my left hand to do what my right hand usually does. I want you to give this a try this afternoon. Or if you've got your laces on now, you're welcome to try it now and and debacle it like I did this way. So what I did was I untied my shoe, and here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to say, okay, what what is my left hand doing, and what is my right hand doing? And I want them to do the, I want to do, my left hand do what my right hand is doing. And so I tried to do this. And it, it went as bad as the trumpet thing went. <laughs> like this way, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out how to get my hands to do what the other hand's been doing for all these years. Do you see what Jesus is getting at here? So he said, hey, when you give, give in such a way that your generosity becomes like tying your shoes. It becomes so habitual that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. Like when you lace up your shoes. Literally, my left hand had no idea what my right hand was doing when I was lacing up my shoes. She's like, yeah, that's it. Now, initially, when you start giving, here's what's going to be. When you start giving and you step into this for the first time, You're going to have to battle the trumpet effect. Every time you're going to want to blow your trumpet when you put your offering and you want to celebrate how generous you're being. That's part of the early stage of this. But Jesus says, stay with it and you can get to the point where you can set your trumpet down and you won't even realize how generous you're becoming because it's formed into your habits. It's become second nature. And this is what he says at the end of verse 4. And your heavenly Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Do you see the pathway here? 
If you want to go about playing the trumpet every time, you're like, celebrate how generous you are. And you know, we're kind of more subtle with this. We just kind of slide in conversations about generous gifts we've made here or there. And that's kind of our subtle way of indulging the approval addiction process. But the, the longer we stay with it and the more it becomes like tying our shoes, the more you're not even drawing attention. You're like Dallas Willard says, you've lost the thought of how generous you're becoming by just how deeply ingrained it's become. It's just a way of you living everyday life with Jesus as a disciple. This is just what you do. You bring an offering to him. You bring your tithe to him. It's how you live everyday life with him. And you don't even have attention drawn to it anymore. You just stay with that. And do you see the picture of Matthew 6 then? He's presenting two different pathways to become here. We can go in the pathway of a stage actor. We can go the hypocrisy route. We can be preoccupied with the trumpet. We can just make it all about kind of the attention and the approval of others on that. You can go that way. Just know the only reward you're going to receive there is you're just going to continue to indulge this addiction that's so deeply ingrained. To simply have everyone else stand and give approval and applause to what you're doing. Or you can go a new way. Jesus says, here's another way to live. Simpson, put the trumpet down. Put it down and then step into this way of life, cultivate a generosity which is rooted in the approval and love of the Father. Do you know how approval addiction gets melted away from the heart when you settle in to the relentless, unconditional love of the Father for you? No matter how you're doing, no matter how you're living, he loves you, he's never gonna stop loving you. And so he cut, and you settle into that love and you settle into that approval. You say, you know what? Even if, even if no one else sees, even if no one else knows, even if no one else gives a round of applause, here's a picture Jesus says, God's got a really big trumpet. And he's going to blow this trumpet way better than I blew it. And even better than a Christy Frampton can blow it. She can make this thing really sing magic. But God's trumpet's so big. He says, your reward is going to be this. It may include some financial rewards, like the Callahans were saying. You may have the best financial year of your life in 2018 if you'll step out in this. That may be the case, but that's not the sole reason you step into it. Jesus is the best at managing money. I just challenge you to take him up on that and see if he can't be your best financial guide you've ever had. The best financial advisor. Trust him in it and see what he does. It may be the best financial year of your life, but I suspect the bigger trumpet and the greater reward is this. It's gonna be the kind of person you become that on the inside of your life, you're gonna see what? You're gonna see what it's like to live setting the trumpet down and live with freedom and generosity. And you have freedom from what? Freedom from greed and envy and clutching and grasping and anxiety about running out or a miserly stinginess about what I do have. You just loosen the grip on all of that and you become the kind of person on the inside what Jesus is trying to paint all through the gospels. You become fully alive as a disciple and you're free from all of that. You step off the stage, you set the trumpet down and you be your authentic, true self, fully alive in Jesus. And in that, some things on the end, the tropos of your interior world is like is set to cause things to grow that need to grow, and it chokes out the things that need to be choked out. And do you see? You keep doing this. You keep bringing your tithe 
to your local storehouse, your local priesthood, your local church. You keep doing that, how long? Until your right hand doesn't even know what your left hand's doing. Until it just becomes second nature, like tying your shoes. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you care so much about us that you would so straightforward and often address money in our discipleship. And we want to be the kind of disciples here who handle the wealth that you give us in a way that pleases you. And as an act of faith and trust in all of our hearts, we want to trust you, Lord, that, that we know you'll take care of the 90% better than we could ever imagine the, uh, manage the 100%. And we, as an act of faith, believe that. We trust you with that. Pry open the grip on our heart. Help us set down the trumpet and step off the stage and move into this place where generosity becomes second nature. So teach us how to do that. Thank you for the 25-year history around here of literally hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of people being disciples with their wealth. And thank you for all of the things that have happened as a result of that generosity. And you who've begun a good work, carried on to completion, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to receive our offerings now, appropriately so, minus the trumpets. Promise no trumpet playing. No one's going to stand up and blow the trumpet at this point. But when the basket comes by, I want you to whisper a prayer of gratitude for the privilege it is to give back. And then maybe some of you have been doing it so long you didn't even realize. Which, by the way, you know one way you could do it where your right hand doesn't know what your left hand is doing? Do you know this is where electronic giving is a big deal for us? Do you know how that helps us tremendously as a church? Because when you're physically not here, guess what you're able to continue to do then? Continue to bring your offering. So if you haven't set up electronic giving, you can just write that on your comment card and we'll help you get linked up with that. Just write electronic giving. Huge help in managing cash flow year to year. And then if you still wanna set your offering, you can still write on your envelope and just write your amount in. If it's important to you to have a physical act to do, you can still do that week to week. It'll just be empty in the envelope because you've given electronically. And I know in our family, that's been tremendous in helping. Our right hand literally has no idea what the left hand is doing at that point because it's just become a part of the way we worship God week in and week out. So